0: Hello and welcome to this month's webcast, part of the ongoing Mac Learning Environments Project. My name is Fred Reynolds and I'll be the host and moderator for the webcast. Thanks very much to all of you for your patience. We had one of those unavoidable live broadcasting issues that we're still working to resolve. But we expect to have everything set up for us soon here. Today's topic is using Second Life to create engagement and community in online learning. The Second Life immersive environment is being used by over 300 campuses worldwide to create new forms of learning communities. The collaborative and creative spaces made possible by Second Life can increase engagement and community formation among groups of learners. This webcast will begin with an introduction to Second Life and how it works, then move on to describe the best practices for its use in the classroom. Now, before, during, and after the presentation, we invite you to take a spin around Second Life, and we'll be using Rice University's Owl Land to do so. There'll be instructions in just a moment on how to get into uh, Owl Land. Now, we have a substitute presenter, and this is a very uh, last-minute thing. Sarah was unavailable at the very last minute. Uh, But joining us today via telephone is Mark Ball, a PhD candidate at Indiana University in Telecommunication, and uh, Mark works with Sarah quite a bit on Second Life and uh, its pertinence to education. At the end of today's uh, webcast, we should have time for a live question and answer session uh, at the end of Mark's presentation. You can submit a question at any time by uh, checking, if you look at the bottom of your player window, you'll see a text entry bar, or you can just submit your question anytime at all. It shows up over here on the screen on my right. We'll queue up the questions and then ask the presenter at the end of that presentation. Also, today's presentation, since it's uh, in multiple media, media um, will be taking place also in Second Life. For those of you who would like to ask questions in Second Life, there are folks who will be uh, receptive to your questions. This series of webcasts is being brought to you as a part of the Mac Learning Environments Project. A community of open source developers, educators, and academic computing specialists, Mac Learning Environments' mission is the development. Of the next generation of learning environments to be deployed on Mac OS ten on campuses around the world. The project's website, www.maclearning.org, serves as the center of communication for online discussion, documentation, and resource links. I'll give you that URL one more time. That's www.maclearning, all one word.org. I asked Jess Mitchell, the co-chair of the Mac Learning Environments Project, to join us with some welcoming comments today. And Jess was kind enough to send me this photograph that you see on the slide. So Jess, if you're with us, uh, want to join us for a moment?
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Fred. Thanks for the introduction. I just want to um, welcome everybody to this very exciting webcast. As Fred mentioned, we had a, a few glitches at the last minute. So thanks for hanging in there with us. But. Um, it, This webcast is particularly interesting to the mission of Mac Learning Environments. As Fred mentioned, we're a community group of educators, technologists, professionals, and IT um, developers, and and just people interested in new technologies and innovation. We're interested in talking about new products like Second Life and new applications that allow us to. work with educators to find new ways to engage um students in teaching and learning and and to uh to just experience new community avenues. We want to do that also on the Mac learning environments page and you can expect to see a new website from us in the in the very near future. Um, In addition to uh, this webcast, we've done a number of other webcasts and you'll be able to access those by um, going to the Mac Learning Environments page and clicking on the link or um, as of this morning, you can go to the iTunes Music Store and type in Mac Learning Environments and pull up the archive of all of our webcasts in iTunes Music Store, download them and consume them as you choose. This webcast as well will be in there. Um, once we get it processed. So I wanted to welcome you again and encourage you to go to Mac Learning Environments. Um, keep going to it. Look at our new site when it comes up. Join us and become part of this community group that is working as change agents to uh, transform teaching and learning and learning environments. This is a very exciting time in uh, technology and new technologies. So we're excited to have today Mark Bell talking about. Um, Second Life, and I want to, if we can go to the next slide, Fred. I want to give some people some instructions um, because of this, because we're doing uh, this presentation Uh, here on the webcast and also we've got people in Second Life who are interested in showing you around. Look for the people wearing the Mac Learning Environments T-shirts. Thanks to Philip from Rice University for creating those. They're pretty cool. Um, This slide will show you how to join the Mac Learning Environments group in Second Life today. We're going to be in Owlland, which is the Rice University island in Second Life, and you'll need to go into uh, Second Life, the application, and follow these instructions, these 10 steps. And once you've done that, or if you've already done that, the easiest way that I've found to get to Owl Land is to either go to MacLearning.org and click on the URL that's in there, or if you go down to the lower right-hand side of your screen in second life and pull up the map. You can type Owlland in into the search and then you can click on teleport and you'll fly there. And then you can join us in the amphitheater. Um again where we have these Mac learning t-shirts to sort of distinguish ourselves. So, without without much more to say, I'll now introduce Mark Bell. Thanks Mark for joining us from coming from Indiana and maybe you can you can start us off with uh, a little bit of an introduction of yourself since it says Sarah Robbins on the slide, but uh, give us some information about uh, Second Life as well. Thanks for joining us.
2: Hi, how you doing? Uh, my name is Mark Bell and uh, I am not Sarah Robbins. I don't have any pink hair, um, <laughs> uh, but I am uh, fairly intimately attached to her. She's my partner in uh, Second Life and both in real life and in Second Life, and we work on a number of projects together. So uh, she's running late in a meeting right now, with uh, um, fairly high up at a a university, and so she asked me to uh, take this over for her and uh, run through the slides. I've been in Second Life basically about the same amount of time as her. Um, though she'll remind you that she was there first and that she got me into it, um, which is about uh, a little over a year and a half now. We've been in Second Life, and uh, she has taught two classes in Second Life, which we're going to talk about. Um, English 104 classes at Ball State University, and while I was uh, doing my master's at Ball State University, I did a uh, cultural immersion within Second Life which was to study the culture and uh, in relation to identity in Second Life. So um, without any more uh, of me babbling about who I am, I thought we'd get right into the slide. So if you want to click onto the next slide, which should appear to be uh, the title slide, um, using Second Life to create engagement in community and online learning with Sarah, which I'm not. Sarah has uh, pink hair both in world and in real life. So um, it's kind of her trademark and she uses that. Um, So that's why there has the pink on the slide there. So we move to the next slide. That is uh, what Second Life really is. Um, A lot of people discuss this. Is it an MMORPG? Is it Uh, A chat room, what exactly is it? And the current best title for what Second Life is, is a move. It's a multi-user virtual environment. Obviously, it's multi-user. There's lots of people in in Second Life right now hearing this. There's lots of people on the Outland Island. There's lots of people in this slide, in this picture. They're all different users. There's no non-player characters. That's a kind of old gaming term. Uh, that you would find in something like World of Warcraft, where you have to go see a guy who gives you a stone, where you go meet some other guys, and you have to kill a monster at the end of it. So it's all user-based. And it's also that virtual environment where it's a persistent virtual environment in 3D. So there's land where you can walk around uh... you can fly, you can teleport, but it is a full environment in that you have to, if there's a big rock in your way, you have to walk around that. So that is what the current situation is with Second Life. It's not a game because there's no laws, uh, there's no rules about gaining levels or uh, completing quests or anything like that. It's not going to be very exciting, But you could definitely log into Second Life and just sit there, not talking to anybody and not doing anything, and you wouldn't be penalized for it or anything like that. But it it wouldn't make for an interesting experience. So, on to the next slide, which is um, a bit about the mechanics of Second Life, um, which can be overwhelming at first. This slide has Sarah's avatar. Um, with all of the me- mechanics, all really the communication and building mechanics within Second Life open at one time. So starting across the top, you see chat, which is a communication thats inter- that's um, spatial. So within 20 meters of, of talking, uh, you, people can see that. Uh, also, you can shout, which is a greater distance. but anybody can read that who's in the area. So then you have, um, down below that, you have instant messaging, which is like telepathy or any other instant messaging program that you might use, like Yahoo or Gmail or anything like that. So uh, those are the two main ways of communicating, and the, the people you communicate with are your friends or the people around you, and then you have a friends list uh, like you would an uh, and other uh, IM clients and things like that. Um, You also have an inventory, which is, in Second Life, an unlimited inventory. You're allowed to build basically anything you want based on where you are, and you can store it all in your inventory. There are some limits, but they're very, very uh, wide in the sense that, To get something not to go in your inventory, the objects have to be really far apart and linked or something like that. But I have several houses and buildings and apartments and all sorts of things in my inventory, cars, all that. It's an unlimited pocket kind of space. Um, There's also, uh, across the top there on the slide, there's a mini-map which shows you your location and the immediate SIM. A SIM is essentially a server that takes up 16 square acres of virtual land. So that shows you what the buildings are in the sim, and if anybody else is in the sim. If there were other people in that little mini-map, it would show up as little blue, little green dots So um, that you might be seeing on your screen right now. There's also motion and camera controls. You can fly, you can walk, you can run, you turn left and right, all those fun stuff. You can also turn your camera around to see behind you, to take shot uh, pictures and things like that. Um, finally, in the kind of uh, lower part of the screen, there there are two controls that kind of make Second Life a, a bit more unique than a lot of places. First of all, there's building tools. In Second Life, you can you're basically given an unlimited set of Legos and. Uh, you can take those Legos and stretch and turn them. If you've ever been in a situation where you're building in Lego and you just want it to be a slightly different, you can do things like that in Second Life. Um, there's a bunch of basic building shapes that uh, all come together to make everything in Second Life, and that, again, leads to the whole idea that in Second Life, everything is user-created. Lyndon Lab, who created Second Life, um, only really purchases and sells land. They don't create content. All the content within Second Life is all user-created. And once you get into the world and look around, you'll be stunned by how much has been done and the near unlimited and limitless uh, creativity that's happened there. And then at the very bottom, in the middle there, are the media controls. Which allow you to play audio and video, so you can run quick time streams uh, of both audio and video into those into uh, a sim and show movies and videos and audio and all sorts of things, so it provides an environment that you can customize very drastically to make it look exactly the way you want it if you own land in certain areas, moving to the next slide. Um, talk a little bit about what happened with Sarah and her class. Sarah, about a year ago, uh, a little more than a year ago, got into Second Life, and she was teaching um, an English 104 class, which is a core curriculum composition class um, in uh, Ball State University. Now, this is kind of an understood class for Ph.D. students in her area to be teaching. It's a freshman class um it's usually held very early in the morning and uh it's kind of one of those things that you gotta go to and you're not really interested in it um so sarah uh, talked to the center of media design at uh, ball state and they decided to fund uh her to uh, provide space they bought two islands or two sims in second life which are together, they're Middletown and Media and Design, uh, two islands, and provided space for her to do uh, classroom work. So Sarah um, wanted to do a class that was a hybrid class. Instead of jumping into this virtual environment without any sort of um, safety net, she did a, a a hybrid class. So they met once a week in world, and once a week in the classroom. So to find out if anybody was interested in doing this uh, at Ball State, uh, she sent out a campus-wide email um, and asked if anybody was interested and within the first 24 hours received 300 messages uh, saying they wanted to be in the class. So she had to pare that down through uh, meetings and uh, basically a first-come, 1st serve basis to 18 students uh, for the first class, which was uh, started in the fall of '06. She since then run the class again in spring '07 and had about 200 uh, respondents to her campus-wide email again asking if people wanted to be involved in the class. Move on to the next slide. Um, Some of the sample assignments in uh, Second Life revolved around rhetorical analysis of objects and research methodologies. So certainly um, teaching rhetoric, especially to freshmen these days, implies that you have to teach them the rhetoric of virtual space. They have to understand that virtual spaces are chosen and deliberately chosen how they look and how they act, and so there could be rhetorical um, structures behind those choices. Also, not only the spaces themselves, but the avatars allowed for rhetorical analysis. Why do you wear those clothes? Why do you choose that sex? For instance, um, or gender. Um, for instance, in this slide, uh, which has the, the uh, one of the... Uh, activities that Sarah did in class. And I'll talk a little bit about it when we get to it. Um, But if you notice in the center is something that looks like a dinosaur. Well, that's Sarah's avatar at that point in time. So uh, they did extensive interviews and ethnographies of residents in Second Life dealing with social interaction and all sorts of um, uh, small communities within Second Life talked about how to use space and visuals, and in the end, what happened was each at the end of the semester, uh, the students do a lot of writing because it is a writing class, but the end of semester project is not only an essay project, but also a build project in Second Life where they have to build a convincing rhetorical space to put forth their argument for whatever they're arguing for. Uh, in the students, so they actually built um, a situation, uh, built um, basically centers around their uh, final projects and uh, open houses. We had open houses for both of those and had between two and three hundred avatars over this uh, space of a couple of hours. Now, I, I don't know about you guys, but. Um, Having two to three hundred people show up at an undergrad final project uh, English 104 class is uh, pretty impressive. (laughs) And uh, we were very pleased with the turnout. So that's kind of the things that went on. We move on to the next slide. Uh, Sarah's number one question that people say about Second Life is, well, they're not actually doing writing. Well, it is actually a primary writing environment you do a lot of typing you do a lot of uh, discussion back and forth but also there's note cards that allow you to um, write up text and share it uh, in it in addition to the webs in addition to Second Life there was a website for the course where the students were required to blog once a week or more and and also write papers. So really, they had to do what was required in a normal English 104 class in addition to a whole bunch of uh, in-world activities that added to the active learning and the visual rhetorical analysis of things. We move to the next slide. We see more about that authentic writing uh, environment, and she talks in this slide about Vygotsky's scaffold, it helps students understand what, how to build and how to structure their work. It allows them to accomplish those tasks as the, the scaffolding kind of fades away, and it writes to an attentive audience instead of, you know, writing papers to a teacher who really doesn't care. Um, the picture here is is very interesting. Um, This is from the final project of the first class in Second Life, um, which they created three different builds based around the idea of the high cost of secondary education. Well, they wanted to visually represent this high cost of uh, education, so they built a scale. Now, in Second Life, this scale works. So if you put a heavier object on one side, it's going to weigh down that side. And they created, they put a car on one side um, and a diploma on the other saying you could buy a car or you could get a degree and, and wrote about the, way, the different con, um, consequences of each. So they not only had to verbally present their argument but visually. Move to the next slide. They also do a number of primary research situations not the situation. And Sarah is is big on this concept of a psychosocial moratorium. Now that's a big word for what really means is you get to try things out. Um, for instance, um, and I think there's a slide about this, but I'll talk about it right now. There's a, an exercise she did in class where she, everybody switched genders. Well, you could probably dress up maybe to switch genders in the outside world or real life, but you're not going to be able to really effectively switch genders. Uh, In second life you'll be able to do that. You'll be able to try things out in a hands-on way. You'll be able to interact with communities that you might not ever be able to have interacted with before and to actually do things. So this slide is interesting because One of the things Sarah and I did in Second Life was try to recreate works of art as 3-D models. Well, we figured out that after building this um, Nighthawk's picture that the picture is in no way uh, architecturally correct. It could never be correct. The perspective is all wrong. It's a beautiful picture, and it works that way, but if you try to build it a 3-D environment, Difficult to replicate, and that taught us about how uh, things are designed in paintings and how things are built architecturally. So, we'll move to the next slide. Um, Sarah does lots of work with visual analysis of environments in Second Life. And this is a screenshot of the second class's final project where they did. Um, analysis of fame and its effect on people. So you see a, a slight picture of Kirk Cobain and Elvis and Ozzy uh, Osbourne. And what they were trying to get across was that the space was writing, that creating the space was an act of writing. And so her students had to create those visual rhetorical environments to convince people of what they were talking about. And... The way it was set up was, and it's still actually on the Middletown Island. If you want to go through, is you went through each of these rooms and learned about these celebrities, and then you had to pass a quiz uh, to get into a larger kind of social area. So that's what's going on with that slide in the class uh, from this year. We move to the next slide. Um, she talks about active learning and. This is really the exciting, engaging situation for learners in Second Life. First of all, you're not stuck in a dull classroom, especially on a nice day like this where it's sunny outside and you really don't want to be in the classroom. You're actually uh, out doing things in an environment and interacting with people, and that also adds an air of, uh, like, a situation where you can't predict how things are are going to work, an unpredictability situation. In this slide, you see Sarah with her pink hair and on her roller skates um, who is surrounded by what appear to be Kool-Aid men, which are Kool-Aid men. What she did was she wanted to talk about uh, the outsider and the insider in their relation to doing ethnographic research um, with her students. So what she did, was she broke them up into groups, and each group put on a particular avatar. Some used this female alien avatar, some used this Snow White avatar, and these people used the Kool-Aid Man avatar. And what she did was transported them to a very busy environment, and she transported the um, Kool-Aid Man to um, a dance club. And at the dance club, they were basically bowling for people. they were knocking people all over the place and they got they got returned after five minutes and Sarah was worried because they were supposed to take twenty minutes to do the activity and they returned in five minutes. she said "What happened and she uh, the students said we they had been kicked out of that environment and um she was kind of worried that it wasn't an active learning situation. They were like, no, 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 no. It was awesome because one student said, I now know what it's like for my mom who's obese in an environment. She never would have found that out or figured that out or had that feeling without this situation. Another student said, even though we we're different than everybody else, I felt like an insider in our community. So, It gives them a sense of inside community and outside community that would be difficult to create in the classroom without using really formulaic structures. Move to the next slide. Um, A big part of what active learning is in Sarah's model is the value of play, and the value of play within Second Life is very prevalent, it's very um, at the forefront of things. Now this isn't necessarily play like I played a game or played WoW, there's different forms of play and she uh, uses rural stands here to talk about that and you can all read the quote um, but there is a lot of play situations within Second Life and the next couple of slides talk about those so Brian Sutton-Smith has categories of play, which is the next slide with uh, Sarah's dinosaur avatar. Again, if we move on to slide 16, sorry, 17, we begin to see some of that. So first, uh, the first category of play is mind or subjective play, daydreams or metaphors, and this is part of uh, the student's build from the first year where they wanted to, once again, talk about the high price of education. One of the highest prices in education is books. So they created this statue of like Atlas carrying all these books and being overwhelmed by the size of the books and the weight of of the books to visually represent that. So that metaphor gives them a sense of play that they might not have in just a plain old written class or te- uh, classroom. Move on to the next slide. There's certainly solitary play in Second Life. You can do any sort of hobby that you might be interested in. Sarah likes to go surf. There's all sorts of things, driving, uh, horseback riding, any golf, any, a number of things that allow you to play in that hobby space. Slide 19 is playful behaviors or playing tricks. Well, this is really a screenshot of underneath the students' build for the second semester. They create a hidden area just for the students uh, that they could go to and hide away from everybody. So it kind of was like a secret passage. It went down a hall and you pressed the thing. And so this little secret area is an example of that kind of playing tricks on people and things like that. Um, The next is the informal social play, slide 20, those social type of gatherings where people are meeting, where people are talking, where people uh, meet up in ways that you never thought they would meet up before, and you see that kind of limitless wealth of avatars and creations that people do. So, okay, the next slide is uh, um, the audience play. And a lot of Second Life that's really interesting now is this kind of idea of performance. Um, there's a globe theater where you can do plays so just imagine as a teacher of English uh, instead of having students read a fellow they would be a fellow they would be Desdemona they would sit in the environment like that there's a lot of musicians who are um, who talk back and forth and do things like that um, and perform Um, and there's also a lot of plays and things like that that go on. So that's one of the uh, things that happened in Second Life in terms of of performance. There's also performance of uh, of films and machinima where there are movies shown in Second Life, uh, full movies created in Second Life, and... um, full sort of interaction situation. Um, Okay, I think there might be a problem. I'm just checking to make sure. Maybe not. Um, Let me see. I think Jess is trying to send me some questions, but... um, Okay, the next slide, I'll get through the slides and then I'll probably take questions as a whole at the end of of the situation. Uh, I'm sorry if I can't get to your questions as they happen. Um, Slide 22 of 28, the next slide is once again playing uh, performance play with someone or with an object. Um, Suzanne Vega, the recording artist, has done this. Um, in the world, and it allows students a chance to, to do things like that, uh, to perform for other people. If you go to the next slide, 23, there are celebrations and festival holidays and carnivals, which Second Life is full of. It's full of parties. It's full of get-togethers. Um, and also there's in-world get-togethers and outside, world, uh, outside get-togethers where uh, people, um, interact in both environments. Um, in Chicago in uh, August is the SLCC conference which is the Second Life Community Conference which brings together people from Second Life in a in a conference setting. And there's a business track where people talk about businesses, there's a social track, and education tracks um, which is also um, shown in-world, and Sarah and I will both be at SLCC this year, and um, we'll be talking more about uh, Second Life for Dummies when we're there, because that's a project we're currently working on with Wiley uh, Publishing. If we move to the next slide, slide 24, there's contest games, gambling, and sports. Uh, to say Second Life isn't a game is true. But there's lots of games in it. You can play lots of games. There's lots of gambling. There's lots of sports. There's uh, sporting leagues um, that allow people to play games, but you don't have to play the game. And the game is not required to to proceed in the environment and the world or anything like that. But there is lots of um, sporting events that go on. So um, moving to the next slide, 25, there's risk or deep play, dangerous or risk taking play. And this is kind of going back to that idea of the psychosocial moratorium in Second Life. It allows you to do some risky behaviors like skydiving, like Sarah shows here, um, without a lot of risk to yourself. Um, I've skydived in Second Life, um, I've fallen out of the air, you know, thousands of meters in the air, things like that. You can't really damage yourself. There's no kind of uh, health system in Second Life. So you can do these things and try these things and have fun with them without a lot of, with, a, with no risk to your personal body. So uh, The next slide talks about parodies um, and the, the parodies of play in Second Life and um, the idea of reality being held by the people within the world. And this is, picture is one of our favorite examples right now of what happened. John Edward, the presidential candidate, um, had uh, when somebody from the campaign in an unofficial manner created a second life presence for John Edward for president. It had little buildings. It had information about John Edward, for, uh, John Edwards for president. It had all sorts of uh, information about his campaign and also it had a little mailbox that said uh, send John a message that you could send an email or drop in a note card uh, to tell John what you're thinking. Well some clever griefer uh, set up right across uh, the way from this uh, John Edwards site, a John Edwards site, John Edward being the uh, psychic from California I believe. And modeled it exactly on the same structures as the John Edwards site, and um, then uh, the mailbox on the John Edwards site said, uh, "John doesn't need your message. He already knows what you're thinking." So <laughs> then. Of griefing, but it's also an example of visual parody. And when you get into visual parody, you begin to look at the rhetorical situations and the sense of play that's being uh, created in this environment. It's not mean-spirited, but it's funny, but it also comments on what's going on, too. So that's kind of a couple of things that's going on in the environment. Uh, slide 27 talks about avatars. Now, we could almost do, well, we have done, we've both done sessions for an hour alone talking about avatars and identity, um, how flexible identity is, uh, the idea of image uh, slippage, which is the situation where um, in a classroom, the, t- the professor is the person who stands at the front of the room, where you all face that person. They usually wear a bit better clothes than the students, and uh, they talk in authoritative voice, and you know all those kind of structures. Well, in secondly, that image slips because you have a situation where your instructor could be like on this slide, dog. Uh, Sarah has wolf avatar. You know it's Sarah because it has a little bit of pink hair, but um, she could show up and be the professor for that class, by being that uh, canine character. So, you have the idea of an image slip and also the idea of what that avatar is expressing and the choices you make and the interactions that that, that creates with people. Say you had an avatar that was had something uh, inflammatory on a t-shirt well, somebody's going to say something about it or something like that. Or you have the whole situation where people create and live in second life in avatars that are non-human and interact with each other, not as humans but as animals. So that really brings a ton of interest to how they learn and what, learning is in different avatars and what your identity means to learning. If you click on the last slide, it's probably going to be uh, a little bit of talk about... Yeah, it is. Okay. Um, What Sarah does here is take the idea of play in those avatars and say that's how you create engagement, and she's seen greater bonds between students, she's seen increased connection between faculty and students, greater understanding of the concepts, greater authenticity in the learning, and increased student output. Uh, just a reminder, her class had the basic amount of work, plus it had a number of in-world projects and in-world activities that students had to do. A lot of times, especially in the annual uh, class, uh, class periods, the time would end that people were expected to be in class, and then uh, things would continue, and she wouldn't say anything. she kind of wait till like, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. You know, an hour would go by after class time, and all our students were still there and interacting and engaging, and you're not going to see that in a regular um composition freshman class. So that's the extent of Sarah's uh, presentation. I think probably there's gonna be a whole bunch of questions, so uh, whoever's listening on the end end of the phone, uh, let me know what questions there are and I'll try to answer them.
0: Hi, this is Fred in Cupertino and thanks so much for your presentation. I think that literally defines the term last minute and you were able to jump in and, and give us a hand here. So we thank you for that. We do have a couple of questions that have come in. Um, the biggest ones seem to be surrounding everybody who wants to jump into Second Life, and many folks were unable to get the instructions. Jess, are you still with us?
1: I am, yeah. Yeah,
0: excellent. So could you walk through that again for us? Sure. Uh, I brought that slide back up for folks who are eager to participate in Second Life at this time.
1: Okay, so a couple of things have to happen. You have to join Owl Land, and it's a 10-step process. And that 10-step process should appear on the slide that Fred has on right now. If you open the search using the button at the bottom of the screen, you select the Groups tab and you type in Owl Land. A large number of owl-related groups will appear. You'll select Owl land and you should get a blue button on the side that says Join for zero Linden dollars. Once you select the Join button, um, a second window appears confirming you want to join you'll receive a confirmation that will allow you to join OwlLand as a guest. At that point, you have a couple of options. Since you're already at that screen, if you go into the map at the lower right-hand corner of your screen, click on map, and then type in OwlLand to the search, what will happen is it will give you the coordinates for OwlLand, and then you can click teleport. And it will fly you to Rice University's Owl Land where you'll be in the middle of a green field, and if you turn to your right, you'll see the amphitheater with a number of tall trees and a couple of pink trees in the middle. We must have known Sarah was coming um and then you can walk over to the group we've got we've got a bunch of people in there it's a it's a veritable second life party and um We've got um, a screen capture of the presentation um, up so I hope that will get you in. If if you are successful in joining the group Owl Land and you have trouble finding it on the map, you can go to MacLearning.org and there's a URL at the top of the page there that is a Second Life URL and it looks something like, slurl.com/secondlife/ slash Second Life slash, and then there, there's the Owl Land specific name and coordinates. That should get you there.
0: Jess, that's great. Thank you. Uh, Mark, a question on the learning curve to get people engaged in Second Life. Uh, what kind of support did you have to give to folks uh, when you taught or when Sarah taught her course to get them engaged in Second Life? What was the curve like? And what kind of support would you foresee as necessary, if uh, if this was to be implemented on a large scale in a university?
2: Well, a couple of things. One, when Sarah sent out her uh, note at the beginning of her course, she asked people who were gamers, uh, people who were familiar with virtual environments. So we already had a head start in terms of that, um, and students, as most of you know, if you're working in higher ed right now, are more technical than most of the staff, so really I think there is some learning curve with students, but they tend to pick it up a lot quicker. Second of all, uh, th- that leads into the second point, which is the biggest learning curve is for your faculty, um, your faculty to get used with interacting in, in, in virtual environments and working on those sorts of things. So um, that's that side of things. Second of all, we found that um, face-to-face kind of training sessions or boot camps help a lot more than kind of throwing people into the environment. Um, So with her class, we did two 90-minute boot camps um, before they started in-world stuff. So we taught them the basics of moving around, avatar creation, building, all those sorts of things. And she required them to have an avatar name before they started class. So they have had to be in the world before they could be registered for the class. Um, we've done a number of sessions across the country where we spend 45 to 90 minutes uh, or half day teaching people Second Life, and you can get a lot done. In a, with a small group of 10 to 15 people to go a long way to making them comfortable with that environment. So there is a steep learning curve if you're alone, but if you create that group dynamic learning experience with knowledgeable instructor, we find that that learning curve quickly dissipates.
0: Okay, thank you. Let's see, we have a, a group of K-12 instructors who are uh, viewing and there's a tremendous interest, and in, at the same time, um, several questions around, uh, uh, do instructors have any concerns about their students accessing the more adult areas of Second Life? I guess a follow-up question to that is, uh, I understand that there is, uh, there are a couple of competing communities, or not competing, but complementary uh, virtual communities, specifically for K-12. Can you comment on that?
1: Um, Second
2: Life, really has two grades. Um, There's the regular grid, and there's what's called the teen grid. The teen grid is for 14 to 18-year-olds, so it's meant for uh, students who are uh, in the K-12 through area. Now, under uh, 14-year-olds, there's a number of environments online. Um, I can't remember the name of them right now. Sarah can list them off. Um, If you contact her or I, we can look them up. Um, The teen grid... Uh, is only for people 14 to 18. If you're an adult on the teen grid, you must pass a background check. that must only stay on your land. So it must be purchased through an educational situation. So the only adults in uh, the teen grid are uh, teachers. Well, people are like, well, you can lie about your age and join the teen grid. Well, if you've ever had a teenager in your house and tried to go in their room without uh, letting them know, they cause a ruckus. And there are actually teens on the teen grid who act as vigilantes trying to ferret out adults who are pretending to be in the teen grid uh, to get rid of them. And actually, um, the teen grid has very uh, low sort of situations like that, uh, low number of situations are interested in the teen grid, you need to talk to Barry Joseph. He's a an organizer out in New York State uh, who runs an organization called GlobalKids.org. Barry is fantastic. He is a New York uh, Motor motormount. The first thing he'll tell you is he talks too fast, and um, he'll tell you to interrupt him if you need him to slow down, but he is a great Great educator, and does so much to bring um, kids with un, uh, with uh, poor backgrounds from all over the world into second life. So that's first of all the teen grid situation. Second of all, um, everyone in the main grid is over eighteen, and we get lots of questions of, "Well, do you lock down your island so the students don't get off and into?" Uh, adult areas, or things like that and and Sarah and I both believe in this situation, which is um we don't walk down our schools like that uh you know just because there's uh adult entertainment in Muncie doesn't mean it's on campus um in our island on Second Life, the Middletown island, we can control who's there. So if somebody's there and being disruptive, we can uh, just kick them off, boot them off. Essentially, if somebody was disruptive in your classroom, it would give you the ability to move them off campus instantly um, with no recourse or anything like that. So you do have protections, and, and through all that, Sarah's only had a single incident in over a year of teaching in Second Life uh, that was even like that, and then used the incident to talk about um, visual and verbal rhetoric in Second Life, so she turned it into
0: a lesson. So. Great answer, thank you. Next. Yes, uh, thanks for the, uh, that response. Um, what was the name of that website one more time?
2: Globalkids.org. Thank
0: you very much. Okay, another question. Um, how do we, this is uh, for someone who's just, uh, I think, getting into Second Life, how do we access environments that are created by others? For example, a hospital room where we could construct a patient-doctor interaction
2: can build anything in Second Life. The problem is finding a place to put it. Um, You you either need to buy a parcel of land or an island or that situation that gives you a permanent space. If you're interacting with other people's stuff, you do searches, you become part of the community, uh, you join the sled list, which is the SL educator list, which is run um, by group of educators or the Second Life researchers list the SLRL which is uh, run by Sarah and I and now those will give you many places and if you are looking for an example of something you just go on there and say uh, I need to uh, see what a classroom is like or a hospital room is like does anyone have an example I bet you somebody's going to come up with an example okay
0: All right, another question here, for public institutions that have compliance requirements, for example, hearing impaired, vision impaired, et cetera, what solutions are being developed uh, by Second Life?
2: Well, uh, a couple of things. Um, Voice part of Second Life in the future. um, You'll be able to interact with people, uh, voice back and forth. Um, In terms of the accessibility of the of the Second Life program itself. I really don't know uh, any specifics of it. Um, certainly it is a visual environment on first firsthand, um, but um, I think that's a very good question. I think we're gonna see a number of changes in Second Life because of that. I've never run Second Life through uh, one of the accessibility screen readers to see what it says, but I'd be interested to see what it's like.
0: Okay. Uh, you had mentioned that Sarah had received some funding in order to initiate her a Second Life project. Um, can you give us a ballpark? What kind of a level of funding is required to get going to be able to produce a classroom experience?
2: Uh, well, um, an island uh, in the educational setting is uh, roughly around $1,600 plus around Uh, equally as much uh, for maintenance in a year. Um, uh, The CMD bought uh, two islands for us. Um, So that $1,600 initial pay doesn't have to be paid every year, but the maintenance does have to be paid either yearly or monthly. And uh, there's a huge education discount for that. Uh, If you were a business like IBM, uh, purchasing an island or land in Second Life, I think it's twice the cost. So um, there is that kind of uh, cost benefit from being an educational institution. Um, On the Second Life Education Wiki, there is a whole breakdown as to what the costs are. I can't remember the link right now. Um, I'm sorry, Um, but if you do a search for SL education wiki you'll come up with it Uh, it's called sim teach that you'll um, it has all the breakdown of the costs and things like that and uh, ordering islands is a process that you go through the website and do and uh, your island comes online and then you can build and do whatever you want on that space
0: I just found that Second Life URL, but it's rather long to, uh, for the wiki, it's rather extensive to read out here. So a Google search will find that, uh, just as uh, as Mark indicated. Um, so Mark, from zero to go, how long did it take to set up uh, the classroom on the island? Um, she's, we got
2: the island in uh, April and May, and the first class was in, um, August, uh, but Sarah's a she likes to try things out. She's a very tactile learner, so she built and rebuilt the a couple of times uh, before students arrived, um, and then she rebuilt it again after the first class. So um, definitely a few months, but not, not more than six uh, to get a good situation going.
0: Okay. Jess, a question for you if you're still with us. Sure. A comment that there's no button at the bottom of the screen to join MLE and Second Life, and that would be somewhere around step uh, six here
1: or seven. Right. So the the button at the bottom of the screen is actually map that you want to type in Owl Land once you've already joined. The joining instructions were on that um, slide that you had up, Fred, where you need to search select the groups, type in Owl Land, the Join button appears in that window, which is a search window. Okay. Once you've joined, then you bring up the map, type in Owl Land, and you should be able to teleport there. Sorry for the confusion, folks. What you're using is Rice University's Owlland space. space. Uh, they're gracious enough to share that with us, and they've opened it up for our use today, But um, as you know, uh, we've been talking about here the last few minutes. A lot of universities are creating spaces that are protected for their students to come in and to sort of have creative license over specific spaces. Um, they've opened this up for our presentation.
0: Our closing question is uh, what's what's up with a giant chicken on stage at Owl Land? Uh, anyone who wants to join in with a response to that is welcome.
1: Things are getting a little wild over here. So. <laughs> <laughs> there was a burning cow, too. Oh, um, burning cow! Not cows. sure what's going on all with right. the barnyard animal. <laughs>
0: yeah, all right. All right. Um, that actually concludes today's webcast. Uh, Mark or Jess, either one of you, have any final or concluding comments you'd like to make?
1: Well, well, this is Jess. I'd just like to thank Mark for coming in and doing this presentation so quickly. I. I know that you've done this presentation a, a number of times as has Sarah, so I really appreciate you filling in, doing a fantastic job. I think that Second Life in a microcosm is is the most mature tool that really embodies what Mac Learning is interested in talking about, and I think that Mac Learning is going to spend more time in Second Life. Uh, so look look for us. Look. Um, at MacLearning.org to get more information about Second Life and what we're up to. And Mark, do you have any closing remarks?
2: Uh, Just uh, the plugs, I I feel kind of like I'm on a talk show a bit. Um, My avatar name is typewriter uh, Tackleberry. Please feel free to message me anytime about questions or thoughts or concerns. Sarah's avatar is Intelligirl uh, Tully. Uh, We're in World quite a bit. Our email addresses are typewritermark at gmail.com and intelligirl at gmail.com. You can also get to us via our websites and blogs at intelligirl.com and storydeep.com. If you're any way interested in this, join the Second Life Educators list, which you can find at Cintitro, or the SLRL list, the research list that we uh, belong to. If you're, again, also think about going to a Second Life uh, Community Conference, which is in Chicago on April 24th and 25th. And finally, the last plug, which is, uh, when Sarah and I finish our predonious we'd uh, be happy to autograph any copies that peak purchase.
0: Fair enough. Thank I you. I think
2: that's all my plugs.
0: Thank, thank you, Mark, I appreciate it. All right. No let us remind, let me remind you now that, uh, uh, it would be a good time for our audience to participate in that online survey that I'd mentioned uh, at the beginning of the webcast. You should see the uh, the button for that down in the bottom of your player window. For more information on next month's webcast, uh, check back at the MacLearning.org website in about two weeks. Again, that's www.maclearning.org. And thanks to uh, Mark and Jess for joining us today on this webcast. And on behalf of Apple and the Mac Learning Environments Project, I'd like to thank all of you for participating today and in Second Life. Have a great day.